Welcome to Living Through the Word, the official podcast of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word, the Diocese of the Anglican Church in North America. I'm Julian Dobbs, the diocesan bishop, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us for this episode today. On this podcast, we have different guests from across the diocese and national and global Anglican uh, fellowship to discuss topics that matter to you, to us, to ministry and life today. And it's my great pleasure to welcome on this episode Bishop Steve Breedlove. Bishop Steve is the Bishop of the Diocese of Christ Our Hope. He and his wife Sally married in 1972 and were blessed with five children, all married and a growing tribe of grandchildren. I'm working very hard to catch up to Bishop Steve in that number. Uh, they live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Uh, Bishop Steve was a non-denominational pastor for 29 years before becoming an Anglican in 2001. And he and Sally planted All Saints Church in Durham, North Carolina in 2005. In 2012, he was consecrated as a bishop in the Anglican province of Rwanda. He's a bishop with us in the Anglican Church in North America. He's a dear friend and my brother. It's just such a privilege to welcome you to this episode today. Thank you, Bishop Julian. It's wonderful to be with you. Thank you. I've uh, invited Bishop Breedlove to join us for the Bishop's Book Club as we make our way through uh, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. But before we get to the book, uh, tell us, uh, Bishop Steve Breedlove, how you came to follow Jesus, and then a little bit about the Diocese of Christ Our Hope. Uh, thank you. I first came to faith when I was 13 years old. My parents were um, religious people when I was a child, but I actually did not come to know um, Christ through faith in, in His grace until I was 11. So there was a big change in my family because suddenly our home was filled with the Holy Spirit and all sorts of things were happening and there was changes. Um, I became, um, I gave my life to Christ at age 13, but in high school, I did not live consistently uh, for Christ. It was only until I got to college and it actually part of the Jesus movement at Washington and Lee University in Lexington, Virginia, when I began to really walk seriously with the Lord. And in that time, I felt called to ministry. I went on to Dallas Theological Seminary and got my master's and eventually a doctorate there, but uh, entered into the non-denominational world. Uh, so I have been um, in pastoral ministry as a youth pastor, assistant pastor, or senior pastor since I was 20 years old. I am 73 now, so you can do the math. That's 53 years. You're just a young man, right? And I'm, I'm feel, I feel pretty good. I am... Um, but I am. Um, Let me interrupt. Bishop Steve also looks pretty good, and although our our, uh, our listeners won't be able to see you, I'm seeing Bishop Steve, and he's got a new look. So those of you that know him, look out for that, and he'll be able to sport that uh, with you. Sorry for interrupting. And no problem. No problem. I am. Um, you know, I look back on uh, 53 years of ministry, and I'm just incredibly grateful. The experience has been uh, varied. I've done a lot of work overseas with pastors and so on. And in the last years that I was a non-denominational pastor, we were living in Western Canada, and I began to become familiar with words like Pilgrim's Progress. Mm. That's uh, the way you say that, by the way, right? That, that's that. the way you say that. This way you directly. I would go to the grocers and get produce and uh, <laughs> and so on. As and people it, can tell, the bishop and I know each other fairly well. <laughs> So anyway, um, but I began to be familiar with evangelical Orthodox Anglicans 
and uh, through Regent College in Vancouver. And so spent some time with uh, Dr. Jim Packer and other people that were there. And I was beginning uh, a journey toward Anglicanism, didn't really realize it, but using the prayer book for my devotions and slipping off at eight o'clock in the morning before I would go to <laughs> the church I preached at uh, in order to go to morning prayer. I would, uh, in the uh, Anglican Church of Canada, I would leave before the sermon because it was generally heretical, and uh, but I had enjoyed the, the morning <laughs> prayer service. And <laughs> so anyway, um, and I would go and then preach at the non-denom church. We moved back to the States, and uh, by 2001, I was just done done with uh, that 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 tradition. I mean, I, I it was, um, I, I had experienced a lot of uh, needs uh, amongst myself and myself, but mainly pastors I was ministering to around the world. Mm. There were hungers that they had for a deeper tradition and also for pastoral care in their own life. So the presence and function of a bishop began to really loom large in my thinking. Um, the good that could come, the the Benny essay of the Episcopal structure. And so in that season, when I was, I became a full-time missionary in 2001 and spent four years living in the United States, but working overseas. And Sally and the two kids that were remaining at the home um, church shopped and landed in an Anglican church. And in that context, uh, I was re-invited to be, I was invited to be reordained. 2005, I was reordained as a deacon and then as a mm -hmm. priest and planted this church. We were in the Anglican mission, so we were with Rwanda. When the Anglican mission uh, hierarchy pulled away from Rwanda in 2011, 2012, about 140 churches and their leaders decided to stay with Rwanda. And at that time, they elected me the presiding officer. I was not a bishop. I was elect, uh, consecrated to bishop within a few months. And so I was able to help work with Archbishop Raje, and where our experience with the Church of Rwanda was an unbelievable experience of generosity and kindness and friendship. And in the next three years, they walked us through um, graduating, you know, leaving home, so to speak, yes. full-fledged members of the Anglican Church in North America. And it was in that context that one of the networks of that missionary district, which I was leading, called the Anglic, uh, excuse me, Atlant Atlantic Mission. <laughs> I can't even remember now. Uh, Atlantic Coast Net uh, yeah. Network uh, became the Diocese of Christ Our Hope. And so we've been a diocese. Um, I've been a bishop of this network diocese since 2012. Um, yeah, it's been a wonderful, wonderful experience. And about a year from now, I pass the baton to my successor. Wow. I mean, and just uh, just very briefly, tell us about that, because that's, that's obviously got to be a significant moment. And I think it's appropriate for us to talk about it because it's part of the pilgrimage, right? And we're talking about Pilgrim's Progress. And along the journey, there are these milestones. You've talked about a number of them. You've talked about um, uh, when Faith came to your home when you were younger. You've talked about um, you and Sally and the children um, embracing God's call on your life, your your journey into Anglicanism, uh, your ordination, then consecration as a bishop and the formation of a diocese. And now you're at, at a stage where you're doing something else. Um, the, the story does go on, Bishop Steve, doesn't it? It does. It does. And I mean, I am uh, I am passing the baton because I think, uh, first of all, 
I will have been the bishop for 12 years. I think it's just a good time. Mm -hmm. uh, I felt very led to put the number 12 before the Lord and ask him for 12 years. Mm -hmm. And I've had my 12 years, God willing. Mm -hmm. And uh, and at that time, I believe there's other ministry. I have no doubt on the other side of it. I've already got numbers of things that are cooking and I'm praying about and seeing what God might do. And um, And I think the diocese will be in good hands, but we've been able to grow from 23 churches to about 41 churches. It's fantastic. Yeah. And it's been my privilege to uh, serve with you and uh, to learn much from you. The Pilgrim's Progress has been printed and read and translated more than any book other than the Bible. It's wow. just stunning that. Millions of Christians have cherished author John Bunyan's allegorical tale of the journey of Christian on his epic adventure as he leaves the um, the city of destruction and begins a lifelong quest towards the celestial city, um, any any introductory thoughts, Bishop Steve, about the book and the journey and um, reading it and getting into it again? I, my only comment was I think that it's um, I found it useful to read and reread. Yes. In other words, I would read it, get the story, basic line, yeah. and I would go back yeah. and look for the more subtle nuances because there's a lot of a lot of subtlety built into it. And you and I do something very similar with Pilgrim's Progress. You and I both listen to it and read it. So we yeah. listen to it uh, audibly and read it, right? And that sometimes can be very helpful. You pick up different things that way. Right, right. Yeah. So take us on the journey where where you're looking at Pilgrim. What are we learning? What's happening to him? And uh, uh, what stands out for you in this chapter? Well, we're in Chapter 7 uh, and the journey to the Delectable Mountains. And That sounds uh, pretty cool, doesn't it? The Delectable Mountains. Yes, it does. But Pilgrim has come through uh, a, a crisis, you know, and he's come out on the other side of that and made it through the Valley of the Shadow and the Valley yeah. of Death and so on. And, and he is, uh, and then he went through Vanity Fair and lost his faithful <laughs> yes. uh, to martyred. And um, Bishop Mark Andrew unpacked that for us. It was just so, so uh, powerful as he saw the analogy to today, but also the call to give your life to follow Christ, whatever the cost, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, as he goes, as as Pilgrim goes on, he's joined at the beginning of chapter seven, uh, Journey to Delectable Mountains by Hopeful, which oh. is wonderful because, I mean, of course, our diocese is called Christ El Hopeful, right? It's got to be. Right. This is and your so, chapter. Exactly. exactly. And so um, I find the interaction between Christian and hopeful uh, very, very good. And I like hopeful because he's a person who um, is honest with his own struggles uh, and even acknowledging his weakness and smallness at times, but reverting and clinging to uh, hope as a crucial factor to endure. So the endurance that hopeful um, exhibits in this chapter is directly tied to his, not his strength. He, he is actually not his strength. He's not, he's not particularly a strong person, but he just clings. He just holds mm. on, mm. holds on to the promise. He keeps saying, let's just keep waiting. We'll be okay. We'll be delivered. We'll be delivered. And I find that, and I'm sure it's because of the name of our diocese, but hope has become, and the, and, and the clinging to the promises of God has been such an important part of my journey. And of recently, I read something from a good, uh, actually, New Zealand writer. There you uh, go. Must be very good. Must be very good about the concept. Uh, it was in the series Bible Speaks Today. Yes. And, uh, about living into the promises. God gives our, the promises to us, 
and they um they require a response they don't they're not just dead they're not just uh we're not inert we we, we they're not going to just happen to us we actually have to see the promise and then actually live toward the promise and in the living toward the promise it becomes realized and i think that that was that's being exhibited by hopeful in in his in the interactions and i yeah. like yeah and 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 um isn't that beautiful because uh, at the end of the previous chapter as you referenced um, uh, uh, the pilgrim Christian loses one of his close buddies that he's been walking with, uh, who's executed um, for standing fast in the faith. But then the Lord provides someone else, yeah. and yeah. and that's so important, isn't it? That connection to fellowship and um, and having other people speaking into our lives, not walking alone, walking walking together down this journey. Um, other stuff happens though, right? And you and I were talking before we started recording. Um, a various conversation happens. So talk to us a little bit about that. Well, they start with a conversation with a man named Crafty in our version. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and it, it's quite quite a bit of dialogue that's going on here because Crafty has a couple of friends that come alongside, but basically Crafty, uh, the summary to me is um, in this phrase, he goes, uh, we follow the verse of scripture verse with, you know, in, in you know, with air quotes, which says when you are in Rome, do as Rome does. Yes. Second, we are always more zealous for religion when it's clothed in culture and popular demeanor. When religion, when religion walks in sunshine with silver slippers and the people applaud it, we are glad to be counted followers of it. But we know how to withdraw from religion when it appears in rags, without education or money, and is unacceptable to the better class. Well, Bishop Julian, I would, I would just pause there and comment on the fact that I think that that's a danger. Mm. For any of us leaders, any Christians who are in a, a form of our faith that does have um, cultural acceptability. Yeah. In other words, we are always, I think, tempted to feel like we are making good progress when mm. we are uh, being approved by the culture. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, And there's a lot of interaction that's going on between Christian and hopeful on one hand and crafty and his companions on the other about whether or not the proof of us knowing the truth and following the truth is is it is it being applauded or is it being is it leading us to greater danger yeah that and don't really we see that we see that today and we i see it in my own life uh where there's sometimes the need for affirmation and constantly having to remind myself no um, actually, my 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 vindication and affirmation comes from Christ, right. um, and that's that's where we need to be looking. It's really hard to get there all the time, isn't it? Oh, it is. And yeah. um, I think we I think we have to constantly remind ourselves of that. Yeah. yeah. That, um, and that we are not to be at rest. I, I mean, for me personally, it is. I can be grateful for the fact that I'm in a group of people and where there's a lot of camaraderie or so on who are uh, not following the Lord or not serious mm. about the Lord. Mm. But I always have to be looking for the opportunity that God has given me to actually speak maybe perhaps hard truth into the situation or some sort of turn on a light or made a bit of a bracing truth um, and to do so in with wisdom, but nevertheless unflinchingly when it's time. Well, there are other things that um, spoke out to you uh, as we made your way through this chapter. Um, talk to me about some of those, because some of those uh, had actually been really pertinent to you uh, right. in your own journey. So talk talk to me about that. Well, I mentioned two of them. One of them, and there is a reference to Lot's wife, 
yeah. and uh, the pillar of salt and the comment around the or the question boy that seems like a pretty large um punishment for just simply turning around and i'll mention to you bishop julian there's one of my favorite quotes and i can't exactly quote it by but it, it, it that i use quite often in preaching that uh basically goes like this i uh, no no matter no obedience however small and then parenthesis as if any obedience can be small mm -hmm. uh, fails to enable us in other words in other words any obedience of turning around the positive every obedience however small will open the door to further understanding and intimacy with christ yeah. and i think that that's a really important thing to realize that mm -hmm. obediences are never small they may seem like a small matter but there is no such thing as an obedience that is small because it will either open us toward the Lord or close us away from the Lord. It's that process of being on the journey again, isn't it? That continual surrender of our lives over and into the will of the Lord in order for the Lord to continue to do his work in our lives, Amen. right? And, Amen. and giving of ourselves over and over again. Um, we talked about this in one of the earlier chapters with one of our other brother bishops, and and I remember the conversation going a little bit like this. You know, the 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 call to take up our cross daily is is a call to the place of crucifixion, mm -hmm. and and so it's got to be the place of giving up our lives and 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 surrendering and living lives of obedience. Yeah. So I th I just wanted to comment on that. Yeah. The, when the place that I really um, got caught in, so to speak, was this chapter on, or the section on captured by the giant despair. Yes. Yeah. Um, so Christian and hopeful uh, deviate from the path. They want to take a path of greater ease. Uh, the ground is softer and it's easier on their feet and they get lost and so on and end up falling asleep and fall asleep on the uh, ground the, owned by the giant despair who captures them. And despair, I think Bunyan's description of despair and its operations in the life of a Christian are very insightful. Mm. Uh, because the first thing it talks about is the fact that despair came upon them, captured them, and forced them to go to his castle in captivity because he was much stronger than they. And so that phrase, he was much stronger than they, because when we experience doubt, and I personally went through... Um, two seasons of doubt, one in my early years of pastoral ministry, but one in my mid mid years as well in my 40s, um, seasons of significant doubt and struggle. And uh, doubt feels overwhelming by its definition. Despair feels overwhelming. It is, um, you feel completely helpless. Uh, and it's it's like there's nothing you can do. You don't ask for it. You don't want it. It happens to you. It descends upon you. It captures you. Uh, it, it, and you suddenly find yourself um, dominated by doubt and despair. And I, I think Bunyan was getting at something mm. quite. Do you think that might have some? Thank you for sharing that. And I want to pick up on that in a moment. But do you think that might have had something to do with the fact that Bunyan's writing while he's imprisoned? ultimately because of his faith. He's writing actually this book from prison. He's later released, um, and that's when he writes the second part of Pilgrim's Progress. But there must have been huge despair. He's a preacher. He hasn't got a pulpit. He hasn't got ministry to share, except for those who are around him in this very confined context. I'm sure it does. And I think it's also just a sense of helplessness. You know, mm. you the word imprisoned. 
you know? Mm -hmm. And so he is imprisoned by despair, mm -hmm. doubt, and gloom, these kinds of things. And um, they're, he, he, Christian and hopeful come to the place of seriously considering suicide. Yeah. I mean, in the course, that just is such a modern conversation. Now, mm. in other words, because despair and depression and suicide and all that goes together with that, and the way in which I think uh, we are tempted to despair of life itself, and Paul himself acknowledges, I think quite courageously in Second Corinthians, that he despaired of life at a, mm. point, at a point in his life. And I think any of us are subject to that. So I think what's important, Bishop Julian, is grasping the ways in which Christian and hopeful finally got out of the yeah prison. so talk to us about that and talk to us about how that um how how you did that uh when you were dealing with despair and any connection there well I noticed three steps uh mm. that the the bunyan develops in the story mm. first is they discipline themselves and this is hopeful this is when hopeful really stands stands firm here. Discipline yourself to hold to the word and not give in to the hopelessness. And he uses the phrase stabilizing the mind. Yes. Stabilizing yeah. the mind. And that to me is just simply clinging to the pure word of God. Mm -hmm. um, I, over the years, have been increasingly involved in contemplative prayer and contemplative practices. And one of the contemplative practices is what's called a prayer word. And the prayer word that I have is out of Colossians 3. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Mm -hmm. And I will say that to myself whenever mm -hmm. I am facing temptation or despair or doubt, and I just say it. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in, yeah. with Christ and God. And I will just, I will ponder that and begin to think about that, and it's really amazing how quickly despair or doubt or temptation evaporates in the face of the Word of God. So that's number one. The second thing that happens is that they remembered past victories and interventions and deliverances. Yeah. And again, I would just encourage, particularly when I was in my 40s and going through doubt and, and, and despair, I had had some enormous deliverances in my um, university years and seminary years, just phenomenal deliverances, miracles that happened in our lives financial miracles, literally physical rescues, and so on. And uh, remembering those was really crucial to me. I couldn't deny them. And even de being delivered from demonic encounters, uh, I could not deny that these things had actually happened. And so in my despair, I would remember the deliverances that I'd experienced and, and, and cling to them. And then the third, um, the third step, of deliverance is the key. It actually is called the key, and that's the key called promise, you know, the promises of God. So now we're back to what we were talking about before, you know, the promises of God that we're given, but we have to actually use them. We have to actually live into them. You know, we have to hold them and make movement toward that promise, and it becomes, it begins to work. It begins to work and unlock the door. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm reminded of Paul writing to the uh, Corinthians in his second letter. Uh, so we do not lose heart. Yeah. Right. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self has been renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Not uh, for the things that are, are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. And that's a thread right throughout Pilgrim's Progress. Keep your eye towards the goal. Keep looking there. And you see, I saw in this chapter, um, you know, Pilgrim is a Christian. The Pilgrim is walking down the path, but the river runs next to it. And, it, it, you know, the temptation which he takes is to deviate because because it looks okay. And then, of course, there's all this challenge that happens. So mm. keep your eye on the way forward. So so, so you've reminded us to um, to recall the word of the Lord. I like that. Um, uh, to to remember past victories. Yeah. Yes. And tell me again the third one. I literally hold on to a promise. Hold, yeah. hold on. Yeah. Literally. Hold on. Do not lose hope. Well, it's the, you know, here's a promise from God. I mean, yeah. Julie, you just quoted from Second Corinthians. Yeah. The Word of God is full of deliverances and promises. Mm. I mean, it's, it's clear as a bell. We just have to decide we're going to listen to it and believe it. We're going to have to and, and, and hold and believe that God is faithful to do what He says He will do in His Word, right? <laughs> so, in other words, in despair and doubt, you give in to your human uh, weaknesses. Mm. And and. How, and Paul is clear to admit his weaknesses, hopeful admits his weaknesses, but doesn't give in to them, doesn't allow that to be the defining reality. You know, so it's not the weakness that's the problem. It's whether or not we let that define us versus the promise. That's of it. There we go. There we go. Well, anything else that stood out for you as you're wrestling this through and thinking about it and your own journey and then the journey of those in the book? Um. I I mean the, the, there was much in the chapter I again I, I I dwelt there I I think particularly um Bunyan's overall understanding is I think an interesting thing to wrestle with Bishop Julian because he does seem to indicate that the journey of the Christian life has many many opportunities for apostatizing and turning yeah. away. So let's think about this, because you and I have been pastors, um, we've been privileged to be pastors most of our lives, and um, uh, I'm sure it's true in our lives at certain stages, but we've also seen it in the lives of those we've pastored. Um, people do fall away, yeah, and um, uh, they fall away for various reasons. The enemies at work in their life, they make bad choices, they deviate from the path a little bit like at the beginning of this chapter. Um, Bunyan seems to suggest it's hard or difficult to come back. Um, talk, talk to me a little bit about that in your own context and and maybe think about um, uh, people coming back after falling away. Well, I struggle a little bit with that because I find that as a pastor, I'm always encouraging people, you can come back. Make you the turn. Yeah. Make the turn. And I, I believe I have solid scripture for that. You know, I was preaching last night at an ordination sermon out of Ezekiel chapter 33, and this was in the text. So you, excuse me, and you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus have you said, surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How can we then live? Say to them, God says, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Well, I cling to that. Mm. So I would say to anybody, turn back, turn back. God takes no pleasure in your death. But I think what happens with people, um, and 
I don't know how to evaluate where people are. I mean, I can't evaluate where somebody's going to end up. I think the questions, again, earlier we were talking about obedience, that step-by-step -step obedience or step-by-step -step disobedience will land you one way or the other. But anyway, at any point in time, turn back, turn back. And I do believe, um, by the grace of God, um, I would never say to somebody, you, you can't turn back. I would always give people, say, start on this journey back out. It's interesting, isn't it? Because as people do slip, and there's always going to be some level of slippage, as people slip, uh, as you've rightly reflected, the important choice to make is to learn from that slip, turn back and seek to follow Christ and press on in him. The, tr the tragedy is if you go down what we often refer to as the slippery slope and you don't make that point of turning somewhere, I don't know where it is, but somewhere you get to the point of no return because you continue to spiral down. We read that in places like Romans 1 and maybe Romans 2. You spiral out. God takes the brakes off in a sense. We saw it with Pharaoh. You know, he had the opportunity to repent. God hardens his heart in the end, and that would be a tragic, tragic place to be in. Um, and so the call is to come back, and Jesus gives it to us, doesn't he? We have it in the comfortable words in our communion service from the lips of Jesus. Um, come to me, all you who are weak and yeah. heavy laden, uh, and I will give you rest. George McDonald has, and I'll be quick here, but has this wonderful pastoral quote. I'll send it to you because it's this wonderful uh, called Cre Out of Creation in Christ. But he's interacting with someone who's saying, you don't know whether you're a Christian or not, and you want to be a Christian, but you're not sure you are. Let me ask you one thing. Have you had done one thing today that Jesus said to do, or have you not done one thing he told you not to do? If you haven't done something he's told you to do, or have not refused to do something because he told you not to do it, he said, get up and do what Go God do it. <laughs> do it. Get up and move, and then you, you'll find yourself a Christian. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's, it's like, where are you going to go right now? You know what I mean? The decision is here. It's a good Presbyterian McDonald was, you know, I mean, he was hit. There we you go. Know? Yeah. Bishop Steve Breedlove has been fantastic having you on this episode of Living Through the Word as we continue to journey through Christian and his pilgrimage from the city of destruction towards the celestial city. Would you pray for us and those who are listening? Yes, thank you. Heavenly Father, we pray that this podcast and the book that it is reflecting on would be both supportive of our faith and our walk in you. Lord, and I pray that we will uh, be um, exhorted, uh, mm -hmm. convicted, encouraged, catalyzed, Lord, to continue to walk a journey toward the goal of our eternal life with you. As John says, Lord, I pray that everyone who has this hope within himself purifies himself as he is pure. We are moving toward this beautiful place where we shall see Christ. And help us to conform our lives increasingly to Christ in every step of the way, not disregarding or looking askance at any particular obedience, but realizing every step we have is an opportunity to affirm what we believe and where our hope lies. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This has been the Bishop's Book Club on Living Through the Word, the podcast of the Anglican Diocese of the Living Word. We'll continue the journey next time with Bishop Todd Hunter, who's going to help us look at the next season in the life of Pilgrim, the Christian, on his journey. I'm Julian Dobbs. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. <laughs>